0: quote of the day is from Emerson. He said, the purpose of life is not to be happy. It is to be useful, to be honorable, to be compassionate, to have it make some difference that you have lived and lived well. Hello everyone, my name is Addie Hirshton. I'm a contemporary Impressionist painter, art instructor, author, and public speaker. The purpose of this podcast is to share stories about art and the creative process to inspire you and help you move forward. And in turn, make myself move forward. On the show, I often interview artists from a wide variety of mediums so that we can learn from each other's processes and philosophy. Today, it's going to be just me. I'm going to talk about how you can make a difference with your art. Um, As I record this podcast, this is uh, November 18th, 2016, we recently had an election that has caused a lot of civil unrest and a lot of um, tension between different groups of people in my country. And there's a sense of hopelessness, you know, what can I do to heal all these wounds? to give you an idea uh, for those of you who might not be living in this country of what I'm personally seeing. And this is just from friends of mine. I had friends whose children are in a high school in North Carolina, in Boone, North Carolina. And af- the day after the election, there, were, there was a group of kids that were uh, chanting in the hallway, make America white again. And intimidating students of Hispanic descent who were there. Of course, the principal has been trying to deal with it, and it's um, I hope that things have settled down there, but it was just awful to hear that such ugly words could come from you know, be from one child to another. Down where I used to live in, Bloomington, Indiana, there's been some crazy person who's been uh, spray painting KKK and swastika designs, the Nazi swastika symbol, along different public uh, walkways. And um, there's a church that's a St. David's Episcopal church in Bean Blossom, Indiana. It's a small church, and this is a church that welcomes gays. They had uh, someone spray paint on the outside of the building late on a Saturday night so that the parishioners came to the church early Sunday morning and were greeted with a sign that said faggot church, a swastika again, and uh, hail Trump. And it just is sickens me that anyone would deface a religious sanctuary of any kind. Um, And I think back on all of my ancestors who came to this country, of which there's a a wide variety of different national groups and different um, religious groups. The first of which who came here were uh, my Mayflower ancestors, William Brewster, his family, Uh, William Brewster was um, a Puritan minister, and they were fleeing religious persecution. And after that, you know, many other different types of people joined my family over the years in this country. Many of them were coming from places to flee religious persecution and or poverty. And um, I myself am, am greatly disturbed and worried that that we would ever target a specific group of religious people, in, in this case, Muslims are being targeted, as being shunned from the country. And I, you know, knowing the the few friends that I've had who are Muslim, who are, who are devout and sincere, it breaks my heart that they would be lumped in with terrorists who are of this extremist crazy minority group and people i i i i just i'm i'm heartbroken that so many people would lump all together like that you know if um say someone who went to my church went crazy and and uh, murdered people i would Hate to be lumped in with that sort of insanity, and that's what a lot of folks are are feeling and are afraid will happen. So um, you know, I think we have a lot of people being afraid of each other. And what makes this country so great is that we have freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of religion—all these First Amendment rights that we hold so dear, and that. what is what has created peace and unity within our country. Um, And then, of course, I'm also very concerned over the injustices against African Americans that have happened, some of which have been perpetrated by police officers. And again, I hate to see police officers who are good, and are really trying to uphold the peace and justice and fairness, and then some police officers are being lumped in with these um, ones who have shown an extreme prejudice. And that saddens me as well. There's so much healing to do right now. And there there are many ways to do it. And in fact, there's so many ways to do it that I, I am feeling a little overwhelmed. But I wanted to take this podcast to share with you Uplifting stories of many different artists who have used their art form as a way to share the stories of injustice and to push for social change and open people's eyes to what's really happening around them and not just, you know, being an ostrich and pretending, uh, la la la, everything's perfect. Let's begin with our first artist. So I'm going to start with Jacques-Louis David. Um, During the French Revolution, there was a journalist named Murat who had written um, political commentary articles for papers that were pro-French Revolution. And he was murdered by someone who did not like his political views. And (laughs) After he was murdered in his bathtub, in his very own house, um, a painter by the name of Jacques-Louis David created a piece showing the death scene. It's a very dark, somber piece, but it shed light on the murder and the injustice of it. It... Caused a stir. It caused more people to be aware of what had happened. And so, one option for you is if you are feeling that there is an injustice that has happened to you or a friend or something like that, then show it through image. Um, Tell the story visually because a visual image can be incredibly powerful to shake things up and showed the truth. Another example of a painter who created a piece that was very influential was um, Picasso. So, uh, On April 26, 1937, there was a, a bombing uh, that happened in the uh, Basque region in northern Spain and the group that bombed them were Nazi, Germans, and Italian fascists, and many people were killed, as is always the case in war, and Picasso responded by creating a painting, a very large painting, called Guernica. Guernica was the town that was bombed, and just like the death of Murat, when he created that painting, it caused more and more people to talk about what had happened. It caused them to um, raise concern over the devastation of the war that was occurring. And, And I think what's interesting about Picasso's Guernica is, of course, during World War II, there were many bombings, many horrific acts of war. And yet, he focused in on one specific incident. And in his own way, told the story of what was happening through image. I dare say that if he hadn't created that painting, I wouldn't know about the bombing of Guernica. <laughs> I mean, it you know, we still talk about things today if a visual image has been linked with it because it's so um, powerful and it is so influential. Another influential artist was Ramar Bearden. He uh, was part of the Harlem Art Group. He lived from 1911 to 1988. He wrote extensively about uh, African-American artwork, and many of his pieces shared stories about segregation and uh, beautiful images of African-Americans themselves. His work was uh, a lot of it's collage, so he'd uh, collage images from magazines or cut out pieces of paper, and then he would paint on top of them. So his work was very distinctive in its style, and in the um, even during his lifetime, he received numerous awards for all of the research and bringing people together, and his work to encourage young artists. Ramar Bearden is another hero in the art world. And then there's Thornton Dial, one of my absolute favorite artists of all time. Thornton Dial was from Alabama. He lived from 1928 to 2016, so he died earlier this year in January. Um, His work is very large. And you can look at the images online, but it's just not going to do it justice unless you are standing right in front of his pieces. And I don't say that about every artist, but Thornton Dial's work is really distinctive in that way. The reason is because it's their paintings, and they're you know he'll have like a big uh, you know wooden frame for it with a canvas, but then he'll weave into the canvas. recycled pieces, uh, doll, baby dolls, um, all sorts of stuff, and each of his pieces are uh, very emotional and will share specific stories or feelings that he has about what it's like to live in America as uh, an African American. So for example, there's one piece that I was Get me just almost moved to tears when I'm standing in front of it because it was about um, miners who would be working in mines and then might be trapped in the mine if there was a collapse. And so it's it's a very dark piece. You see images of people screaming and trying to dig their way out. Um, this is the sort of work that sheds light on what's happening to real people in our country. Um, Another very famous piece that was featured in many magazines is of American flag. So you see the red, white, and blue, and it's called um, Don't Matter How Raggily the Flag, (laughs) it's still got to tie us together. I love the way he phrases things. It's just great. Um, and, And when I look at that piece, it says to me there's all these we're from so many different places, and there's so much uh, pain in our history. But we tie those pieces together, and we are one and unified. And it's it's bittersweet that piece. Oh, I love it. Um, at the end of all of my emails, you know, I've got my name and my phone number, and and all of that, and then I have a quote, like many people do. And the quote that I've had on there for several years. It was from Thornton Dial. He said, "Art is like a bright star up ahead in the darkness of the world. It can lead peoples through the darkness. Art is a guide for every person who is looking for something. Oh, every person who is looking for something. Oh, I just, I just find that um, poignant. And, and." Yeah, I mean, every art student I've ever had, there's there's something they're trying to say. There's something they're looking for. There's, there's um, perhaps something they find in themselves when they create their work. Mm. Now, as you guys all know, I'm a painter, but I want to talk about a bunch of other people who are not painters. One of my favorite writers is Charles Dickens. He wrote an Oliver Twist, a Christmas Carol. And what I love about his work is is he created these fabulous characters, had them moving throughout their lives, encountering each other, and it's all very dramatic, right? But Charles Dickens behind, you know, between the lines of all of his work was an effort to show the social injustices that were happening in Victorian England, where he lived. Specifically, children's rights, education, there were things called debtor's prisons. His father had been in a debtor's prison at one point, and his descriptions of what happens in debtor's prison and the injustices there to the prisoners helped create the reform so that they got rid of that and abolished that system. Um, Also, there were poor houses. There were what was known as poor houses in England at the time and what that meant was if you were poor, you could go and take refuge at these places, kinda like a homeless shelter. The people who were taken into these poor houses were taken advantage of and enslaved. They would have, you know, factory systems and mills where once you went in, you became a worker in that facility, and it was almost impossible to leave once you were in it. One of the most tragic elements to those poor houses was that if you entered with your family, your family was separated. The father went this way, the mother went that way, the children went another direction and were all kept separate and it, it's, it was heartbreaking for people to be put through that and to not have contact with their families during the time they were in the poor houses. Yet, with humor, <laughs> with telling a story, Charles Dickens was able to push for social change and make those systems obsolete. Charles Dickens was able to show the people who were in the other, you know, higher up levels of society what really was happening in those places. Another way you can make a difference is by telling the story specifically, but perhaps um, creating characters, someone that people can identify with so that they can really understand what it might feel like to be another person and to be subjected to trials, troubles, and tribulations, right? So another one of my favorite writers was a minister and a public speaker and his name was Ralph Waldo Emerson. He was a transcendentalist. He had progressive religious Christian beliefs at the time when he lived. His writings are still very influential today. His thoughts about how we should treat each other, how we can progress and move forward, Are very influential in religious circles social circles and our quote of the day that I shared with you earlier was from him and one of the things he said was that you want to leave the world a bit better and with that I think goes a a philosophy of our purpose here is to make the world a bit better to bring people together to work on social conditions and injustices and make sure that things are fair, dare I say it. <laughs> so another one. I've got a musician for you now, Ella Jenkins. Ella Jenkins was one of my favorite children's folk singers so she recorded many 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 um, children's songs with the Smithsonian and she worked in the 50s 60s and 70s um, in the United States to share folk songs with children and her her style is so gentle unifying encouraging the children to, work together. Um, you sing a song, I'll sing a song, we'll sing a song together. If you, if you are in a position where you are teaching and you can incorporate music, you can incorporate the arts in a way that is uplifting to children, that gives them a vision of what they are, they want to see in the world, or helps them to notice things. I remember there's one song I love by El Jenkins that's, it's about all the different types of trees. You know, she sings, "There's a, there's an oak tree," and then you echo back, "There's an oak tree." There's, a, you know, and it's showing children all the beauty of the world by singing about it together. Another musician that I find very inspiring was the singer songwriter Pete Seeger. So Pete Seeger, during the civil rights era, 1960s um, in the United States, went around and sang for large groups of people. But what really made his work unique, beyond just all the songs that he wrote that became popular songs like Turn, 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 and If I Had a Hammer, and and all of that, is his... um, ability to unify the audience. So he would be standing in front of the group and he would he would sing a line and then he'd say, you know, you sing it back. And he would encourage the audience to participate. And so that when they left, they left with a sense that they had they, had, they were part of a community and that they, they were harmonizing together, quite literally, <laughs> right? And he made a huge difference through music and through encouraging people to sing with him. I'm going to end on the story of the Thousand Paper Cranes. And this is one that is in... My book, The Alchemy of Art, Stories for the Classroom. Okay. According to an ancient Japanese legend, anyone who folds a thousand paper cranes will be granted one wish. The paper cranes are made using origami paper folding techniques. They can be made in a wide variety of colors. Often the paper cranes are strung together and hung like garlands. When Sadoko Suzaki turned 12, she heard this legend from her best friend, Chizoko Hamamoto. She decided to try to fold a thousand paper cranes herself so that she could be granted a wish. She would wish for good health. Sadoko was suffering from leukemia, a type of cancer. When she was two years old, the United States, in war with Japan, dropped an atomic bomb on her home, the city of Hiroshima. The bomb exposed her to harmful radiation that made her very ill. Sudoko started to fold the paper crayons, but only managed to complete 644 of them. She died on October 25th, 1955. Sudoku's friends and family completed the Thousand Paper Crane project in her honor. A statue of Sudoku holding a golden crane now stands in the Hiroshima Peace Memorial Park in Japan. And on that statue is written this inscription, This is our cry. This is our prayer. Peace in the world. Now every year, on the anniversary of the droppings of the atomic bomb, which is August 6th, the people of Hiroshima celebrate Peace Day. On this day, many people shroud the statue of Sudoku with paper cranes. And what can we learn from this story? How can we apply this to our lives? So Sudoku was folding the cranes to have a wish come true. And, and I think when people fold paper cranes today in her honor, they are doing it to share their own wish that we will have peace in the world. And so now it's a, it's a very powerful symbol and you have a symbol like that. It can, it can help to push for social change. It can help to, to, to share the story of what happened. You know, it's, it's one thing to say, um, the United States dropped a bomb on Hiroshima in World War II. But it's another to say, (laughs) this was a little girl, an innocent bystander, age two when the bomb was dropped. She dies at age 12. Um, This is the sort of horrific act that none of us want to see in the world. It's my belief that only by sharing stories of what has happened, Can we prevent this sort of atrocity from happening again? It is only by sharing our stories that we can learn from each other. So as I said before, um, the story of the Thousand Paper Cranes um, is in my book, The Alchemy of Art Stories for the Classroom. If you're very interested in Sudoku herself and want to learn more in depth about what happened to her, there's um, a very good award winning chapter book that retells the story. It was written in 1977 by Eleanor uh, Kerr, that's C O E R R, and it's titled Sudoku and the Thousand Paper Cranes. As a final announcement, I want to share that. I invite anyone who enjoyed this podcast, who found it comforting, to share it with your friends. Let them be comforted as well. As you can probably guess, I create this and I spend a lot of time on it. I don't get paid to do it. I do it for my own uh, articulating my own thoughts and feelings and then to share it with other people. So please do pass it on. Also, I invite any of you who want to follow my own work and hear about new podcasts that are coming out and all of that to sign up for my newsletter. So you go to azurefineart.com, sign up for my newsletter and um, every thanksgiving the day after thanksgiving i give away a painting and the painting that i'm giving away this year it is a still life of some roses on a table it is framed nicely very classy and i will be giving that away as a promotion to encourage folks to sign up for my newsletter and i do that every thanksgiving so if you miss the if you miss the date just go ahead and sign up and then you can always be have your name in the hat for next year. This concludes our Alchemy of Art podcast for today. May these stories about art and the creative process inspire you. May you find your voice. You have been listening to the Alchemy of Art podcast. To find out more about Addie Hirshton and her work, Go to azirfineart.com. That's A-Z-H-I-R-F-I-N-E-A-R-T dot com.